Hey, Philip, what's going on? Hey, Brian, good to see you, man. I didn't hear you knock. I didn't know I had to knock. Fair enough. So what are we doing this week? The same thing we do every week, our podcast. Ooh, let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Neighbors Don't Knock. The show where two neighbors drop by for conversations that are fun, relevant, and downright hilarious. Join them and special guests in their mission to talk about anything and everything and laugh about it no matter what. Now, here's your hosts, Brian Chambers and Philip Goffrey. Hello, hello. Welcome, everyone. It is Season 3, Episode 7. That's right. Philip. how are you doing? I'm okay, man. I've had, I've had kind of a, a rough morning running in the heat. I had a late night last night, so it was my first training run with, a, not going to lie, a little bit of a hangover working. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm here. I did it. I, I accomplished it. Nothing so. like getting that, that, having that true motivation to get you running, like, like a morning hangover. You know, I tell you what, it, it, all this technology that we have at our disposal now is a very weird thing, right? Because I'm sitting there and I'm kind of like not feeling quite right, you know, a little bit overserved the night before. And I just can't stop looking at my heart rate on my watch the whole time. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> am I going to drop? Like, or is this okay? Is this safe? I don't know. You know I'm just like terrified halfway through the run going, am I going to make it home? I don't oh, know what's I, That's, that's gotta be terrifying. I, I know I wouldn't make it home after a yeah. night like that. No, I exaggerate. It was actually, uh, it wasn't that bad. It was a nice light recovery run, but it's good to see you. Yeah. 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 We have a great guest today in studio and we'll get to him in just a moment, but this is someone right here in our own backyard, which is really, really unique. Yeah. It's super fun. We've definitely sort of evolved into a, won't you be my neighbor sort of, sort of show. <laughs> Getting have, desperate now? No, I don't, I don't think it's desperation. Would you think. be my neighbor? <laughs> it's like knocking on doors. No, I, I see it much more of like a Mister Rogers kind of thing. I don't think it's desperation. I think it's more that we're just welcoming people. Thank you very much. But I, well, I agree with you. But sometimes, I mean, I can come off a little creepy. So. Well, that's true. I'm glad that you know it about yourself. That's, uh, I have learned it. Well, you know, people give me feedback. So. Do you give out surveys after you meet new friends? I take a poll. Yeah. A little, is there an app for that? Like the Brian feedback? Oh, man, I should. I should I should create an app. That would be great. Yeah. He talks about Muppets too much, too much. just enough, or not enough. Uh, too, much, too much, actually. Well, if anyone who knows me knows how much I love Muppets. All right. Well, let's just go ahead and get into our guest. So... Our guest, like we said, is a true neighbor just down the road from us. He is a native Houstonian, but his career has taken him all over the place. He's received an Associates of Culinary Arts Management degree from the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York, because there is two, which I didn't know. There's one in California, one in New York. So I didn't, I didn't realize there were two. I didn't know that either. New so, thing every day. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, he's worked with so many different places and his career has taken him across the U.S. And his story is very, very unique. But he's he's worked with uh, the MGM resorts at the Mirage as a, a resort and beverage manager. His, his career has also taken him to California, where he has worked as a GM with restaurants such as Platform 8 and Chef Morimoto's flagship restaurant, Morimoto, which, you know, I think it's great. If I had a flagship restaurant... It would be Chef Chambers, called Chambers. That's, that's a pretty good name for a restaurant, actually. <laughs> like that's how I like he did it right, right? Then more Chef Morimoto did it right. Like it's a bit like a, use a, his a, name. Yeah, a bit of a Harry Potter feel to that name, though. Right? That'd be a little bit. You know, you walk in, you'd expect like wands and owls and. Well, I don't care. Let Let's get into it. Uh, welcome, Mr. Josh Hoffman, to the show. 
Josh, welcome, man. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Well, man, first of all, thank you for for carving out time for us. We just want to start off by saying how much fun it is to really have met you. And the way that we met was incredible. And I was telling Philip this story that you were at uh, Max's Wine Dive. Or anyone here in, in Houston knows, uh, you know, Max's Wine Dive. But it's a, it's a local place where it's it's like a wine bar, but it's one of those casual places. So it's like classic rock and wine, you know, mix, which is it's it's fun. It, it's it's a lot of fun. But that's where we met you, and I never thought that we would have hit it off the way we did. Right. So, you know, as you were saying earlier, my career has taken me across the country and I grew, was born and raised in Houston, but I decided to leave um, early in my 20s and go off to school in New York. And I had said, I'm never coming back to Houston. COVID happens. Josh comes back to Houston and we're saying like, OK, let's think about making a career change. And when I decided to make a career change, I needed a weekend job. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to go serve wine to some people on the weekends, make some friends, make some money and see where it goes. So a lot of times I do get asked, like, do you run this place or why do you know so much about wine or some of those types of conversations? Well, that- you, you did actually sound like I, I could have guessed that or might have guessed that you ran the place because you commanded a very good presence and knowledge of wine. And the way you kind of walked around, you're like, this guy knows what he's talking about. You command that, that role very well. Well, I appreciate that take that as a compliment you know sure. what what a difference that makes too we recently had one of our sponsors on the show um which is a winemaker uh, called Alpassion, and we got talking about a very similar topic in that if you're ordering wine or experiencing wine having someone who knows what they talk what they're talking about and not like a bullshit salesman but somebody who really really understands the wine that they're presenting it it's all the difference in the world i mean it, it makes such a huge difference in the experience Well, a lot of my career was based on a passion for wine. Um, It started with uh, being young in Houston and having my mother's side of the family is Italian, and we grew up hunting and fishing. We would go to South Texas, and we would do dove hunts and deer hunts, and I would always end up finding myself with my uncle cooking. And fast forward a few years, I went down to Victoria, Texas to uh, take a job, And while I was down there, again, I was cooking a lot. And so I decided that I was going to go to culinary school up in New York. And while I was at school in New York, um, I found this passion for wine. And I decided that I really wanted to do the front of the house. But I also wanted to have an understanding of what chefs might go through in the back of the house. So I took the path of the front of the house. And then that sort of led me on this. I wanted to, at one point, become a master sommelier. And I decided... I'm going to jump in this venture and I'm going to take level one. I'm going to become a level one small A. And as I got deeper and deeper in it, I realized I didn't have the time or maybe the dedication that I needed to get to that level. But I still had that deep passion for wine. Yeah, it's like going to med school. <laughs> yeah, you really have to be strapped in for, for those type of tests and yeah. things like that. It's it's intense. Yeah, And probably drink more than I can possibly drink at night. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this. Why New York? I mean, was it is it just something about New York or was it that program that is the only reason you went up there? Or are you one of those that likes, I want to get out and I want to go to the East Coast? No, I, I never thought of myself as someone wanting to go to New York. But when I do things, I'm fully committed. And when I did my research, the CIA was the best school in the country. And I was going to do anything and everything to go to that school because I knew that I was going to set myself a set aside from anyone else that was going to come out and be in the industry. Was, is there a big difference between the one out west and the one on the east coast? Because you said you mentioned so there, is there were two. there is one in Napa, and it's a lot smaller. There's about eight kitchens compared to the 20 or 
30 so kitchens that they have in the the Hyde Park campus. The Hyde Park campus also gets about 250,000 visitors a year with five restaurants open to the public. Oh, wow. So it's just an amazing experience, amazing campus. There's about 2,000 students there. Um, large high school, small college kind of feel. Okay, that, that, that makes a little bit more sense, and you wanted more of that. Right, and there's a really cool story about while I was at school. So when I got to school, I realized Monday through Friday there's food all year, right, or for anyone. But on the weekends, there's not a lot of food. There's a couple bars, and there's nothing to really eat. So one of my buddies was like, hey, let's sell tacos tonight. And I'm like, no, you've got a fucking great idea. Let's sell tacos tonight. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go down to the library, and I'm going to print out all these flyers. You're going to go pass these out. I'm going to go to this guy. His name's Corey. I'm going to have Corey start making stuff to sell tacos. 10 o'clock tonight, we're going to sell tacos. 10 o'clock comes, sell out of tacos. I'm like, all right, cool. Next day. We got a business. Got a little business. Got a little money. I was like, you guys want to go to Darby's tonight? Perfect. Let's go down the bar. We got some money. We got some food. Next night, let's do this again. So we decided to sell ribeye sandwiches. Same process. Uh, go pass out flyers. You love to talk to people. We have these things called gazebos, or they would call them the boats, and that's where all the guys would go and smoke. So I'm like, go to the boat, pass out these flyers, get back here, let's go sell some more sandwiches. Monday comes, getting called in the dean's office. Josh, are these your flyers? These are my flyers. Are you selling food on campus? I am. You know you can be expelled for this. I did not. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad that you went that way with the story because the first thing that popped up in my mind was, he's going to get in trouble for this. <laughs> this is going to be really bad. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, well, what do you mean I'm going to get expelled? He's like, you can't sell food on campus. Why not? Because the food has to come from the campus. We have to make sure that it, because of the health department that everything's kosher with that. I was like, all right, so how do I do that? You have to be called, become a school-sanctioned club. Well, what do I need to do that to do? Write bylaws. It has to be approved. Go through this whole process. How long does that take? Could take a couple months. I gotta sell food on Friday. You don't understand. We've got this thing going. <laughs> Dean, I got I got stuff. I got clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah Dean, I hear what you're saying. But we got a business to run. Here. Yeah, yeah. You you see my problem? <laughs> you, I'm just doing what you taught me to do. I don't understand what the problem is. That's awesome. So we go back and forth, and he's like, "Well, you could join the slow foods movement, and then just be an offshoot of it, and you could sell food probably by Friday if they allow you to do it." Perfect. What do I have to do? Order the food through the campus, put the money back into the campus. Like, great. So I can keep a little bit for myself. Got it. <laughs> so come next Friday, we were selling food. We did this all the way until I graduated. Then I, right before we graduated for Thanksgiving, I drained the account, bought a bunch of food, and fed anyone that was still on campus uh, with the money we had. And I'm pretty sure once I left that it kind of died. But we called it E3E, and it was a really cool experience, but I did almost get kicked out of school for selling food. Jeez. Oh, for a pop-up restaurant. Yeah, Good for a pop-up. There you go. That was before my time. <laughs> well, you were totally before your time. Yeah. yeah. Now you'd be hip. All the millennials would exactly. be, like, lining up. You'd know, have a little say. app for it. Yeah, there'd be yeah. an app. I mean, I'd be interested to see if they allow that now, if it's kind of a bigger thing now to allow students to, to be able to do that, a program similar to well, Dude, from health departments are no joke, though. I mean, they well, they will true. shut your ass down. You get the whole school shut down if you're not careful. But if it's sanctioned through the through the school, like you like you had to go through, I'm wondering if that's maybe a program that they've adopted or in similar circumstances. 
I, I, they adopted it, but to pad their pockets. They now have this beautiful area for the students to come in, and I think that they have kitchens, and they brew their own beer there, and now there's actually food on the weekends for these students to go and enjoy themselves and not have to leave campus because where the campus situates itself, there's just really not a lot. You've got Poughkeepsie, where the girl from uh, Jersey Shore is from, and then <laughs> you go across the bridge. I, thank you for, for pointing that out from geographically. Is that, is that, is that like the, is that Snooky? Yeah, that, yes. Snooky. Okay. So you can, you can, tells That's, you a lot about what's around there. Snooky is the only, I, I know the two names, right? I know Snooky and I know there's a guy like called The Situation or something, right? Like he the, was, That's right. The Situation. Those are honestly, I'm with you. Those are the only two that yeah, I, I never that actually I saw the show. Yeah. So did you like New York? What, what was your takeaway from your time in New York? So Hyde Park is beautiful. I mean, during the summer, you have the most amazing farmers markets. You can get just the some of some really great ingredients out there, and the scenery is amazing. I did get to spend some time going into the city on the weekends. Uh, you could take the train right in, and I did enjoy that. I just, being a student, didn't have the money to really enjoy New York the way I would want to, so I can't really give it a fair evaluation yeah i hear you you know i grew up around 45 minutes to an hour outside of new york city i grew up in fairfield county connecticut and i've never been a new york guy you know i used to go in all the time as a kid and then i worked there for for a, a four-month period of time once i was working on the merc floor um before the towers fell back in 2000. it's, it's just to me new york is well, one you have to have a lot of money to really really be able to be you know to feel free in new york and two Man, I mean, it's just such a concrete jungle. It's so gritty. It's it's just the people are super nice. Don't get me wrong. There's, I had no problem with the, you know, attitude or anything like that. I actually kind of enjoy that part of it because it's back where I'm from. But I'm just not a New York City guy. I'm not a Manhattan guy. I don't know. I, I can't do it. Crowd well, the subways. Ugh. Well, okay. So maybe maybe that was a good thing for you because you. Te- it looks like you like to travel with your job because <laughs> you didn't stay in New York. I mean, you were in Vegas and Miami and Napa, and I mean, so what was the first stop? So Las Vegas was my first stop. Early two thousands, you know, as the Food Network was becoming really popular, I started watching Iron Chef America. And there was this chef, Chef Morimoto, and Bobby Flay. They would go back and forth on this. And I got very obsessed with uh, Japanese culture, Japanese knives. And so while I was in school, I was collecting Japanese knives. And I would also sharpen knives for students. So you became a ninja. I became a, yes, yes, a food, a food ninja, food ninja, a food ninja. Yeah, and just for our listeners, the, the not not the samurai swords for anybody picturing that. <laughs> Very close though. Yes, yeah, like twelve I mean, inches. They're they're just as sharp, but yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Minus the whole plunging it into the stomach yeah, of a slave yeah, exactly, at sunrise, right? kind of. Yeah, it's like, what are you doing? I'm chopping cucumbers. <laughs> so at the end of school, uh, you know some people had noticed that I had uh, a passion for knives and someone broke into my townhouse townhouse the last day and stole my knives. The reason I tell that story is because that was the catalyst that had me drive from New York back to Houston without stopping. I was just so pissed off that I was like, I'm going fucking home. I'm going to figure this out. And I just started driving and I got home. And when I got to Houston, I was here for the holidays and I decided, all right, where's my next stop? And I went to Las Vegas, had 800 bucks, my car full of my stuff and with, with no knives no not no, no <laughs> i got one knife i bought one knife because i was going to bouchon to do a stage a stage in the culinary world is you go in a chef tells you to cut up a bunch of onions you follow them around and they see if you're any good and then they either give you a job or they tell you, you worked for free all day and get out of here kid 
okay, you're now back in Houston. You decide you want to get to Vegas. Do you just decide, do you already look into jobs in Vegas or did you just, you know, roll the dice, <laughs> pun intended, and just go up there and see what you could find? I rolled the dice. Oh, wow. And I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have a place to stay. Like I said, I put everything I could in my little car at $800, and I said, I'm going to figure this out. That's intense. That is a very all-in moment. Pretty much how I live my life and every day. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I I think that's awesome. So I start driving from Houston, and I'm thinking, man, where am I going to – what am I going to do when I get there, right? So (laughs) – I, I had some time to think about it. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> How far does 800 bucks get me in Vegas? Um, well, that'll be until Tuesday. So It gets you four weeks. It gets you four weeks? It gets you four weeks. That's wow. the answer. Okay, wow. wow. Okay. You stretch the 800 bucks. That's pretty good. <laughs> that is pretty good. <laughs> so I, I just know that I'm going to drive towards the Strip. So when I get to the Strip, I go to the south end, and I see this beautiful hotel, South Point, and I'm like, okay, maybe I'll just park my car in this parking lot, and I'll sleep here, and we'll see where that goes. And I'm like, well, let me see the rest of this trip. I've never been here, so I start driving north now. And on the right-hand side, I see this, like, horse and this guy on this horse, which not it's a real horse, it's a statue, and it's the Manor Suites. And I say, hmm, let me pull in there. Pull in there. I'm like, how much is it to rent an apartment or a little place for a week? Like 200 and something dollars. So there's my four weeks. Oh, there you go. Got it. Perfect. And there's a Buffalo Wild Wings next door. I'm like, I'm going to go bartend at that Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm going to work here, and I'm going to figure this out while I look for a job. So I get the the little place, and I notice that I am surrounded by hookers, crackheads, you know. Well, that's what $800 is going to buy you. I was about you. to say, they all had 200 bucks a week, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I make myself home. I got my shotgun next to my bed because that was in my car, you know, and I'm like, all right, I'm ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle this town with $800. I go to Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm like, hey, I just need a job. Well, I, sorry, we're not hiring. I'm like, what do you mean you're not hiring? I've got experience. I went, you know, whatever. Sorry, we're not hiring. There's eight other Buffalo Wild Wings in Las Vegas. The reason that I decided Buffalo Wild Wings, because when I was a kid, I worked at Buffalo Wild Wings in Clear Lake. I was like, they're, of course they're going to hire me. I know how to serve wings and serve some cold beer, and that's it. Eventually, I came all the way back after like my first week. And I'm like, I don't have a job. I don't have a job. I'm just going to go back in there, and I'm going to say, listen, I really need this job. Got the job. Started. It worked. It worked. What do you, what were you looking for after that point? Because now now you have a little I guess we'll call it stability, you know, coming in. But you you obviously you're still looking for that next move. I felt like I was in the Roman Empire, and I was like, how do I get on the other side of the gates? And the gates was looking down the strip at these huge hotels, and I'm like, I really want to work there, but I have no idea even how to start working there. I know I came out here to work here. What am I gonna do? I just kept working and working, and someone's like, hey, have you ever heard of this place called Dottie's? And I'm like, no, I haven't. And they're like, well, they're hiring a bartender. I'm like, okay, cool, let me go check this out. So Dottie's is 7-Eleven, has no gas station, meets your grandmother's house, and all these little knickknacks with slot machines in it. So every Dottie's has 15 slot machines, and you have one bartender. You get your crackheads, you get your degenerate gamblers, and... You get your crackheads. So basically, it's all of your neighbors from your apartment are gambling like, over Josh, at Dottie's. We yeah, didn't, we didn't know you were here too. That's awesome. <laughs> There's one right across the street, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go over there and I'm gonna apply. So I get the job as a bartender working at a Dottie's. 
That's so awesome. Your landlord comes walking in. Rent's due, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have it by the end of the shift. <laughs> I need another hundred to stick in the machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Well, I quickly realized that the culture of locals in Las Vegas is a tip 10% of winnings. And they don't take into consideration all that they've lost before they win. And a jackpot is $1,200. When you hit a jackpot, it locks up the machine, and I've got to pay you. So it's my first night. I'm in a really sketchy area because they don't just put you in the store that you applied. You've got to move until you finally get a store. So I'm in a sketchy area. I'm working graveyard to get in at midnight, and I'm just like, you, you can't get in the place unless you're buzzed in. Tells you a little bit about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, you're painting a very vivid picture. Bulletproof plexiglass. <laughs> and, so. and you've got these ATMs basically behind the cash register that when you scan the ticket, it prints out cash. Well, some of these idiots might think I can get in there and there could be like $100,000. Sure. Yeah. Right? So I'm young. I'm naive. I'm like, this is perfect. I'm going to work here. I love it. That night, I make 700 bucks. I'm like, never going back to Buffalo Wild Wings again. Got a new gig. So did your did your seven hundred nights uh, continue? Was this actually a lucrative endeavor until the next stop, or was it more? Well, you know, it 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 started to laws of averages happen, right? <laughs> I'm on graveyard. It's like fifty bucks, hundred bucks, whatever. But as people start to get their own store or their own shifts, you start to get a little bit better shifts. Well, they had a manager job open. I'm like. Here's my here is my entry into this thing. I'm gonna apply for this manager job. So I get the manager job and as a manager you oversee two stores. You work one shift in one store, one shift in the other store, and the other part of your days you're traveling around paying jackpots. Or uh exchanging cash, doing whatever the store needs, ordering product. You're starting to run your first store or your first business. So what's really great about that is as a manager, you pay out jackpots that are over $10,000. So I start to meet some better degenerate gamblers that like to <laughs> tip a little bit better. <laughs> the good ones, the good degenerates. <laughs> I love how mob mentality Vegas is, though, yeah, right? Because like, right? yeah, we're going to take care of you. We like you, Josh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here you go. Here's You're a good kid. <laughs> yeah, go buy yourself something. <laughs> All right, so let's let's flash forward a little bit. So now you've gotten you got obviously got this GM job, right? How did this propel you to work at MGM? Obviously, this was a, a huge stepping stone because now you have managerial experience, right? And was this your first managerial role? Right. This is out of school. This is my first managerial job, and they uh, they opened a hotel, and so I thought, oh well, I've gone to school for this. I'm going to go try and be the hotel operations manager. Somehow I worked my way into that job. And now in my mind, I'm like, okay, I've got the foundation where I can go work at these big properties. You're across I'm, the gates. Yeah, I'm going to Mirage People now. of Troy. Yeah, here I we go. I love, you. I love your, first of all, I love his mentality. Josh, I love your mentality, man, because it, it's just like, it's you're not sitting here defeated with so many, you, you you know there's obstacles. You may not know what some of those obstacles are, <laughs> but you know there's obstacles, and you're just like, all right, here I go. Because a lot of people, honestly, would have just felt good by getting that job either at Buffalo Wild Wings or you know that other uh, your that other spot, and even hitting that managerial spot there, they'd been like, I'm good. I can actually make a living, right? Yeah, I was like, I was kind of putting together the tie, the car. I put the tires on. Now I got a little bit of gas, or I got to the gate. So I show up, and I'm like, all right, Mirage is hiring a beverage manager. I think I can figure this out. 
Like, this, <laughs> I got this. So, I'm approaching every audition and job interview now like this. I think I can figure this out. <laughs> you know, I know, I seriously, no we, we, we've met our neighborhood's Ted Lasso. I mean, that's this right. is absolutely incredible. Yeah, that's true. I know. It's great. I started watching that recently. It's pretty funny. Oh, it's man. It's, you're not going to regret that one. <laughs> So all night I, I study wine and I'm like, they're going to ask me these crazy questions about wine. I walk into the interview and he's like, do you know anything about the collective bargaining agreement? And I'm like, huh? No, that wasn't in school. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> That's a great answer. No, they didn't teach us that in school. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Should I? <laughs> do you know what it is? <laughs> You're not in school anymore, kid. <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, go study this tonight. <laughs> You're making notes. She's like, wait, where can I find that? <laughs> All right. So, so educate us and our listeners. What exactly did that mean? So in Vegas, everything is controlled by the union. And to manage employees, you need to know the collective bargaining agreement better than the employees or else they will tell you they can go on a break or they don't have to come in or they're not going to do that because like, let's say a bartender says, well, that fell on the floor. That's not my job. That's the porter's job. Or if it's in the well, that's not the porter's job. That is the barback's job or the apprentice's job. So they try to use that CBA to manage you, the manager. And these people, I ended up getting that job, and I had cocktail waitresses that were there before I was born because I started at the Mirage. And so managing that was another... Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, having someone that you're looking at your boss that's maybe like half your age, right, younger than you, it's, it's sometimes that can be I, that can be a little daunting, right? As a manager, I imagine, like for you, was that a little bit hard to... to uh, talk to certain employees that you knew were more, I guess we'll call them, had more seniority? I guess I never, I didn't really look at it that way. What I, what my skill set has always been is creating a relationship with someone and understanding really why they were there, how I can help them. And I knew that this was only another stepping stone. So I wasn't going to be there long. And all I wanted to do was make an impact on these people and then move on. So, I mean, that's awesome. I honestly wish more people would approach a, a lot of what they do just with that attitude and and while i was there again i now i'm like in mgm resorts international and you read online and people are like oh you're just a small fish in a big pond you'll never get noticed and i'm like no you're there are there's a lot of small fish in this big pond there's also a lot of big fish in this pond and you should learn from them so I made it my mission to try and meet as many people as I could, and I started uh, doing volunteer work and different things. Well, I got noticed during the rodeo by a director of a, the special events, and they were doing some sort of executive meeting, and they decided to uh, create a program where it was up upcoming or basically salaried employees that were going to be performing above their peers. And I kind of took this and made it my own thing. I really, really wasn't a program at the time. And I thought, well, let me use this to meet all of these people that maybe didn't give me the time of day before. So I made a meeting with different people in different positions that I wanted to hold. And through that process, I actually ended up getting another promotion. And so then this is when I become AGM of a restaurant in Aria. Okay, so now you are you you have this great job. Now, I mean, it almost feels like now you're native to Vegas. Now you're not leaving, right? How did that bring you out to California? So I went to California next. Uh, so I'm native to Vegas. I get I get this first job, and then I ended up taking over the GM job at that same restaurant. 
And now I'm like, all right, I'm feeling good. This is my town. I'm going to move to the strip. There's Aria. And if you look in front of, there's two yellow buildings that go like a V. It's called Veer Towers. I moved to the strip. I moved to Veer Towers. And I am I am Mr. Vegas in my mind. I'm so a, st- a step up from from Crackhead Row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm Alpha Manor Suites and I'm living on the strip. You bought a nicer shotgun. You know. Yeah, right. Sawed it off a little bit. Did you bring the, the old neighbors over? <laughs> for, just, check out the new digs, guys. <laughs> Pool time. <laughs> we call her Margie Methamphetamine. She's great. You'll love her. <laughs> So I get uh, a message on LinkedIn, somebody looking for a GM out in Napa. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's go to Napa. Long story short, I have a phone call, end up they fly me out to Napa. I'm like, this is perfect. Chef I go to work for, his name is Michael Chiarello. I'd seen him on the Food Network, seemed like a really nice guy. Like, yes, I'm gonna go out there and work at a restaurant called Bottega. A uh, really famous Italian restaurant right in the heart of Napa. And when I got there, they also have a restaurant called Coqueta, which is a Spanish tapas restaurant in San Francisco. And Michael's number one, his name is David O'Malley. He's like, hey, Josh, listen, with your experience in Las Vegas, we'd like for you to go out to Coqueta and help oversee that while we look to hire a new GM. So for three days a week, we're going to send you from Napa to San Francisco. You're going to come back to Napa on Thursdays, you're gonna run, they have this place called Otimo, which is like small Spanish, I mean, Italian sandwiches and knickknacks that you can buy. And then the other two days, you're going to be helping run Bottega. So I- I'm, I'm hungry now. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous restaurants, I'm, I'm, I'm not hungry. <laughs> That's quite a lot of running around. That, that, that is area. a lot, yeah. yeah weren't, how, did you feel that you were getting stretched thin at that point? I did. And that's when I approached them and I said, listen, I really like to be like an assistant director of operations or something to you, my, or to you, David, that would, you know, be a little bit more than what I had originally signed on. And then they had said, well, listen, we want to make you the GM of Coqueta, which is in the city. And I said, well, I moved out to, you know, live in Napa and to get to be around wine. And that's probably not going to be something that I wanted to do. And at that time, um, Morimoto was looking for a GM and I got a call from them and I, like I said earlier, had been obsessed with Chef Morimoto as a child. So as soon as I heard that, I'm like, let's start the interview process. We go through four or five interviews on the last interview. It's a Skype interview and, uh, we're talking and all of a sudden chef comes out and I see chef and I just light up and he's like, you look like Derek Jeter. He's like, you can have the job. He's a big baseball guy. So I take the job at Morimoto at that time. That's awesome. I, 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 I've gotten starstruck a couple of times with, uh, with, with certain chefs. And we've had, uh, you know, a Chef Shepard on our show. And, and honestly, we love him to death. And he's such a down-to-earth guy. But, like, you, there's just a little bit when you're just kind of like, oh, that's him. Was he iconic to you? He was. He was what really drove me to go to culinary school. And so to come full circle and to run his restaurant was a pretty amazing experience. Um, and then actually meeting with him and then eating sushi with him, drinking with him. It just really like was the icing on the cake at that moment. That's fantastic. Oh, wow, that is fantastic. So to, I, I do this frequently on the show, but let's get a, a perspective of timeline here. We're talking what, like about three years ago. Yeah. So this would have been 2016, 2017. 
Okay. Something like that. So, so it feels like you have a dream job now, right? With all that happening, how did you end up back here? Because it, to me, with what you're describing, it sounds like I would have been set. So when, if you go back to Vegas, I when I was doing my rounds, meeting people that were in positions that I wanted to be in, I went to a restaurant called Joel Robichon, which uh, Chef Robichon holds more Michelin stars, I think, than any other chef in the world before he passed away. And he has his named restaurant in Vegas. And I went there to meet with the wine director. And when I was meeting with the wine director, the wine director, I guess, in his own mind was like, this kid doesn't need to meet with me. He needs to meet with our uh, director of food and beverage at the time. So he brings me to the kitchen and I'm sitting watching these guys cook and I'm just in awe. And this young guy walks past me and he's like, I'll be with you in a moment with the finger out. I'm like, who the fuck are you? I didn't, I don't, okay, sure. You'll be with me in a moment. So he walks up to me and he's like. I lived in the hood here, man. (laughs) Yeah, I got a shotgun in the back. Like, You you don't know where I've been. (laughs) You'll be with me. Yeah, I got you. So he takes me around. We walk around. uh, We talk about restaurants. I still don't know his name, but he invites me for coffee. Uh, so he gives me his card, and I realized his name Sebastian Dumonet at the time, and he was the director of restaurants at the moment. Fast forward to I'm now in Napa. Sebastian had reached out, and we had spent some time mentoring throughout my process and my time in Las Vegas, and he says, hey, I'm opening a hotel on 20th and Collins in South Beach. Would you like to come out there and help me with the process? We get to concept all five and food and beverage outlets. can be all of your cocktails. You can help me create the wine list. Anything you want. Let's do this together. And I'm like, no, I'm cool. I'm st- I've got my dream job, right? We go back and forth like three or four times. He catches me the right day. And we had this director of operations for Chef Morimoto. And we were arguing about chairs. Literally arguing about chairs. We have a patio outside. And I needed X amount of chairs. Like 24 more chairs. Add another server would bring this much more revenue. This straight to the bottom line. I need this many chairs if you want to increase what we're doing here in Napa. How passionate was this argument? How did we? This get? was passionate, and he always has to be right. So he told me I could have like seven chairs, and I'm like, well, seven chairs doesn't do shit. You might as well give me no chairs. Like, they're like four hundred dollars. I've already told you exactly the amount of time. You're gonna get your money back and make more money. And at this time. I'm not paid on how much revenue we do. My bonus doesn't reflect that. It does me no good. It's just more headache, another server, and more people coming through that door. And we were a busy restaurant at the time. So I get off the phone, Sebastian calls. And Sebastian's like, hey, man, do you want to come work with me? And I'm like, no, I told you. I don't want to come work with you, but I'm arguing with this person about these chairs. And he's like, listen, call him back. Tell him you need 24 chairs or whatever it is. If he doesn't give you the chairs, you come work for me. I'm like, you got it. Call him back. I'm like, hey. I need 24 chairs. I've explained it to you. He's like, send me a floor plan. Let's discuss. You know, I'll send you a floor plan. Resignation. Right. <laughs> Boom. That was the next thing he got was my resignation. Really? I like it. I yeah. lo- oh, man. That was, a, that was a solid move right there. Should have a floor plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's my month resignation. I'm going to Miami. That's awesome. So now you get, now you get a little bit of sun in the fun or fun in the sun. I guess it depends how much you're drinking. <laughs> so. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm like, finally, I'm going to get down to Miami. I've always wanted to be down in Miami. I love that area. Let's do this. 
Sebastian and I had become really good friends over the years, so I'm getting to work with all my friends. He brings in a, a chef that I really adore. I still am really good friends with to this day. And the three of us, we get to build our entire team, create the, the food and beverage program, and we're having a lot of fun. So a year goes by, we create 59 cocktails in Sebastian's apartment to basically launch Super Bowl Sunday. Chef is creating the menu. The hotel is being built. We're going through the whole process. We hire everybody. We train everybody. Super Bowl Sunday happens. We open. And then a month later, they're like, hey, guys, pack the hotel up. You all lost your job. Sorry. The whole world's shutting down. Don't know what to tell you. And so I'm sitting there thinking, what did I do? Yeah. I don't want 24 chairs anymore. You can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll take seven. I'll take seven. <laughs> and I start doing that thing like, oh, shit, the GM at Morimoto is still employed. Like if this wasn't been like a startup esque, maybe I'd still have a job. OK. OK. You figured it out before. What are you going to do? I have pure confidence right now. I'm on the edge of my seat, but I'm like, he's done it before. He can do it again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, let's pack our shit, put it in a storage unit, and let's go to Houston. We'll go until the 4th of July. We'll visit my mom. We'll visit my brother. He just bought a house, and we'll be back. They'll open the hotel, and everything will be fine. So we come back to Houston. This is my girlfriend and I at the time, or still my girlfriend, but we're coming here, and... You know, time started to go by, and the the country's not opening. And in the meantime, I meet a developer, and he's like, "Hey, have you ever thought about doing commercial real estate?" No, I haven't, but I'm interested. So I follow him around a little bit and start to learn what he does. And at this time, he's like, "Okay, well, I've got this plan to get back on my feet, and I need someone young like you. I'll teach you. Let's. I'm gonna hire you, and we're gonna do that." In the meantime. He introduces me to his friends out of Florida. These guys have this like scheme that we're going to sell a disinfectant that is going to inactivate or kill COVID. <laughs> For our listeners, there are air quotes here. <laughs> yeah. You're like, guys, guys, uh, I'm looking at your plan here. Um, we can't bottle methanol. That's that's not good. <laughs> So he takes me to the Houstonian to meet these guys and uh, they're telling me their plan and they're like, we're going to hire you as a sales guy. And I'm like, I don't know shit about chemicals or, and they're like, we got these two guys and they're going to be able to spray it. And we, we, we know everything. We got it down. I'm like, okay, so is there going to be a paycheck? Great. I can get off of Florida's unemployment. Perfect. I'm going to sell this product. Sebastian is at Virgin Hotels at this point. I get a hold of Sebastian. I get a hold of somebody from MGM. I get a hold of a few big accounts, uh, Wood Forest Bank. And these guys, I start to realize they're nothing more than they have no idea what the hell they're doing. So we go through the process, end up separating ourselves from those guys. But in the meantime, I'm still like focused on the commercial real estate thing. I decide to get my license and... Uh, the developer introduces me to someone in Atlanta that worked for Marcus and Millichap. I flew out to Atlanta. I met with him. I went through the interview process with Marcus, and now I'm at Marcus and Millichap doing commercial real estate. 
Neighbors Don't Knock is produced by CNG Communications. CNG specializes in small batch voiceover and video production for commercial media, podcasting, radio, and more. They combine years of experience in acting, podcasting, and sales to offer big media products at small business prices. To learn more, visit our Facebook page or email us directly at admin at neighborsdontknock.com. And now back to the show. So you are now come full circle. It's it's like the circle of life. <laughs> you started here and now you're here again. I don't have any regrets. I would have done it the exact same way over and over and over. I didn't know going to Vegas that I was going to have the uphill battle. I And if I would have, maybe I would have been a little bit more afraid, but I wouldn't do anything different. And when I was 25, I could have told you exactly where I was going to be when I was 35. I knew it. I knew that I wanted to be the director of food and beverage for the Ritz-Carlton. I even had a plaque made that said director of food and beverage Ritz-Carlton at 25. That never came true, but I. But by the time I was 35, I was a director of food and beverage for a hotel. I haven't been able to figure out that grandeur of where I want to be when I'm 45, but I do know that I wouldn't change a thing. Well, I can tell, I, I can make one suggestion for you because going through your resume here, you know, especially my resume has like three bullet points on it, and that's <laughs> it's actually on a post-it note that I hand out. Um, your resume is incredible. Your story is amazing. I really think that you should title it "I Don't Drink Beer Often," <laughs> but when I do, I mean, seriously, dude, it, it's unbelievable. I love that guy. I love this story. So, so tell us a little bit about commercial real estate. So, you you're, you get involved in this because of the developer you met. How how has that been going so far as we're coming out of the pandemic? Is this picking up? Is this something that you see as a as a solid career going forward as we sort of recover? Yeah, so I I went to Atlanta to spend time with a gentleman who knew the, the developer because the developer had built Eckerd's, CVS, and different shopping centers, and this gentleman had sold them for him. So I got to spend some time with him, and when I came back to Houston, I applied to work for the Marcus Millichap. And... In commercial real estate, for people that don't know, there's different product types. You could sell self-storage, you could sell trailer park homes, you could sell class A retail, you could sell single tenant like a Starbucks, you could sell apartments, multifamily. So which area are you in? And I decided to go into multifamily. So anything from apartments, condos, high rises. Um, so our new, our new studio, we're gonna have to go through you. Right, you want to buy the buy the whole whole apartment complex? I got you. It'll just be once our wives have kicked us out, we, we can live and do the podcast in the same spot. Hope that doesn't happen. There'd be no doors. No the neighbors walking no, in and out of there, There's no knocking. The neighbors have no doors. So you you this is the area that you really like. You found it fulfilling in this area. Why 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 multifamilies? So uh, when you get into the to, to Marcus, you get the opportunity to meet with different seniors and understand the product type that possibly you'd want to interview to be on their team to go to sell. And what I, I've always been passionate about, I guess, luxury goods, I guess, or, 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 or nicer things. And what I what I made the mistake of is I looked at these high rises that were down on the Florida beach and I was like, I want to sell that one day. So when I came into Marcus, I walked into the guy who does multifamily and I was like, I want to sell luxury high rises. And he's like, that's really good, Josh. Love, love it. But 
Let me ask you. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. When when you were a food and beverage director, did you have Dom Perignon on your list? Yeah. Did you have Bud Light on your list? Yeah. What'd you sell more of? Bud Light. What'd you make more money off of? Bud Light. Did you sell Dom? Yeah. So will you sell one of those apartments one day or one of those high rises one day? Yeah. But are you going to have to sell some class C or some class B or some smaller class A before you get there? And will that probably be your bread and butter? And I was like, understood. So at that moment, I had a connection with him. He was able to really boil it down to me for me to understand. And I decided that if they would take me, that was the direction I wanted to go. So I ended up joining their team and got into multifamily where we handle anything from as small as 12 units in Montrose to 700 units off of Westheimer. We can deal with private clients that have $10 million to spend or institutional guys that have $100 million to spend. Well, yeah, flexibility it, is good. It's, right. it's safe to say you are widely successful with anything that you do. It, I mean, that's just apparent. Like, just hearing your story, I think it's, I think it's amazing. And one... Houston is glad to have you back. Thank you. I, I'm going to tell you that, man. We, we need people like you in our city. Uh, please don't leave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> please don't leave. But when do you have time to do anything for yourself? I mean, what kind of things do you do when you're obviously your passions, you know, with wine and food and, and now your, your job with uh, commercial real estate? But when you don't have any of that on the table, what do you find yourself doing? Well, since I've been back in Houston, I picked up hockey again. I played hockey as a kid and kind of put that down after high school. And when COVID happened, I found a little rink outside in the woodlands and I met, made some friends with some guys and they said, Hey, there's this, uh, indoor roller hockey rink down off of Richie. Why don't you come out here and, and check it out? I was like, perfect. So we started playing hockey, uh, there, some guys noticed and said, Hey, do you want to go to Las Vegas with us for this national tournament? And I was like, absolutely. I want to go. So we went out to Vegas last summer and we won this Labeda cup which I hadn't played in 18 years, and I got to go skate with these guys and win a national tournament. That's cool. So that's Congrats. really awesome. Yeah, congratulations. Way cool. And everything was still locked down at that point, right? Still so you locked had a chance down. to really go. And we, we, did, we did play a little bit of blackjack, and we saw that you had, like, dividers, and you could have three people at the table, which might have been an advantage for us. Um, I saw some of the people that I used to manage over at the Mirage, some of those ladies that I spoke about that were, you know, there when I was born and they were so happy to see me and it was a really great feeling to go back and, and see them and tell them how much my life had changed and where I was at the time. So cool. It's about personal relationships. So it's cool. about personal relationships. So is this the end of the of the weekend gig slinging wine then? Is this uh are you gonna go full time to the real estate? Yeah, so I have put in my notice. I've got a few more Saturdays that I'm going to work at the wine dive and it's full time real estate from here on out. I just uh with the way that real estate works, you know, you don't have a closing for X amount of months and needed to bring in a little bit of cash on the side with COVID and everything. So I started working at the wine dive and that's been that story. Hey, and now your neighbors don't knock. So that works, that's, out. That's that works right. out well for us. Now, if someone is looking to get a hold of you for commercial real estate, where can they, where can they find you? Where can they look you up or get in touch with you? So you could go to uh, marcusandmillichap.com slash Houston or my email is joshua.hoffman at marcusmillichap.com. And we'll have all of that in the episode description. Also, you can catch Josh at Max's Wine Dive off of Washington for a very short bit longer. And let me just tell you, he has fantastic wine suggestions. I'm not going to lie. And one hell of a story. Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us and, and 
tell us about everything that you've done. This is really, it's really enjoyable. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thank yeah, you for man, it, it was awesome. Uh, you can catch new episodes every Friday of Neighbors Don't Knock. Um, Josh, unfortunately, won't be here with us next week, but you have an open invitation anytime to come back. Absolutely. So check us out on social media. Uh, go at on Instagram at Neighbors Don't Knock or at NDK Podcast, and drop us a line. Let us know what's going on. We'll see you next time. Philip. Peace. Out.